Dog Bless You is brought to you by Button Up Box. We love our dogs and want them to be as healthy and as happy as possible. What do dogs want? Love and a delicious dinner, of course. Button Up Box and Wild Heart Foundation have an amazing relationship because we really do care about what our dogs eat. And it's all thanks to a certain rescue called Rudy. Rudy was in a really bad way. Her skin was sore and itchy, her energy was low, and then there were her farts. Absolutely foul. So co-founder and proud owner, Dave, started making her meals from scratch, gently cooking healthy home ingredients. Rudy, within weeks, recovered with more energy, healthy skin, and those farts, all gone. After developing the perfect recipe of 60% meat and 40% vegetables and none of the nasties along with colleague Kev, Button Up Box was born. What I love best is they actually taste the meals themselves and each portion is customized to suit your individual dog's needs. Button Up Box believes dogs deserve better and listeners of Dog Bless You can get 75% off their first two weeks of Button Up Box meals. Just go to buttonupbox.com slash W-A-H-F to apply. And for each new order using this link, an amazing £20 will go to the Wild at Heart Foundation. That's buttonupbox.com slash W-A-H-F. So help rescue a dog today by treating your dog to some fresh, gently cooked meals from Button Up Box. Proud sponsors of Dog Bless You. Hello and welcome to Dog Bless You, the podcast about rescue dogs, the Wild at Heart Foundation charity and our love of dogs in general. I'm your host, Nikki Tibbles, and in this series, we'll speak to people about their experiences with their companions and how a dog can change your life for the better. But we'll also hear some harrowing stories about the lives of some dogs here in the UK and around the world. And more importantly, we'll tell you how you can help end that. But for now, let's meet today's guest. So my guest today is the amazing journalist and author of the book, Lost Dog. The incredible, the amazing Kate Spicer, woman of my dreams. (laughs) That's a bit much, Nikki. Uh, It is true though. I cannot think of a more fabulous way of spending a Monday evening on my sofa with you and Morphe. And wine. And glass of wine, <laughs> yes. And we've actually got a guest dog, Wally, who yeah. is uh, Wolfie's friend, but he's sort of rather enjoying the rest of the house and not paying as much attention. So, so I'm just, I just want to describe Wally. Wally is a woolly Wolfie. But try saying that after you finish that glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try saying it now. I probably can't. He's Wally an, is a woolly wolfie. He's, yes! He's exactly the same size, he pretty is. much the same colour, but he's so shaggy. <laughs> so we've been starting this series of podcasts about how dogs are so important in our lives and what they bring to our lives every day and how much they mean to us, how much they change our lives. And your story with Wolfie is one that very much changed your life Mm. in so many ways. And 
I have read the book, so if anyone has not read this book, Lost Dog, I suggest you go out right now or go on Amazon and you buy it because I cried like a baby. It's beautifully written. And of course, it's got my favorite subject dog. So, <laughs> but Kate, so you tell us about your life pre-Wolfie. Let's, let's do this in almost like three sections. There's pre-Wolfie and the book and then life with Wolfie. Yeah. And, and all the amazing things and the, your journey along the way, because I know you've met incredible people. I know that you've had a trauma when we lost, but obviously he was found, which is why I don't have sitting on the sofa. But tell me about your life before Wolfie. Well, we're sitting here in your house in West London, one of my favorite streets in West London, actually. Thank you very much. Um, and I moved here in, I think, 1989, 1990. So quite a long time ago, it doesn't feel like that long ago to me. And I was already, I was at university then and I was already quite deeply into, let's say, having a good time. Yeah. Uh, and I think like a lot of people my age, uh, we went raving and that was okay. That was wholesome and a community thing and everybody was and dancing. great fun. Amazing <laughs> fun, quite often outside in a field, so fresh air. Yeah. Like having a walk and a dance at the same time. <laughs> Uh, and it was, you know, those, those were wonderful times, but I think like a lot of people from that era, those fun times ended, but something else carried on that was a much more what I call sort of pinstripe activity where you, you were working hard, but you were so-called playing hard and drinking too much and all the rest. And uh, I just assumed at some point, oh, Hey, Wally, I know, I know, it's very naughty, isn't agreeing. it? Wally. Um, and then I just assumed at some point I'd get pregnant and I'd have what I called a partyectomy. That's what I call pregnancy. <laughs> because it turned all of my friends into completely boring people who never went out again. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just wait. I'll have a partyectomy at some point. And it never happened. So that life just sort of dribbled on and on. And the next thing I knew, I was like, oh, my word. I'm 45 years old and I'm still living like an 18 year old. Um, Does this need to stop? Yeah, and I just thought, how is this? And I'd, I'd done so many things. I'd run across the Sahara Desert, I'd swam the Bosphorus, I'd, you oh, know. an amazing career. I'd done writing some for really. Every extraordinary magazine and newspaper. I mean, on the okay, there's lots, there's lots and lots and lots of positive, good journalists, gorgeous things. Many better than me. I, not I'm many. not sure. I'm not, not sure many. I would go with that, but. But I, I did so many things to try and kind of just clean up because I, I wasn't, I don't, I don't think I needed to go to rehab, but I needed to tidy my life up a little bit. And I tried so many different things, all the holistic things on the yoga and the running and the swimming and the, you even tried a little bit of religion and it was like, none of it worked. <laughs> that didn't work? None of it worked. Religion didn't work? And then I got a dog and it... I mean, I'm not a totally reformed character. We had lunch together a few weeks ago. <laughs> but, um, but I am a much, well. much changed, I'm a much changed character because this dog came into my life and brought routine, unconditional love. One thing I never knew, dogs just make you laugh every single day. And even if you're not belly laughing, you're laughing yeah. in your heart, which is almost a better laugh. Like just, they just bring joy. And once, they, once you're having little slices of joy delivered every day, 
it's much, much easier to make great choices for yourself. How? So he radically, radically changed my life without it even feeling like hard work. But how, how did he come into your life? How were you, did you wake up one day and think, or had people said, hey, you should, you've got no children? Because that's no, what sort me. of people think was... with me that, you know, I've got six dogs, isn't that's because I have no children. I hate that but conversation. I hate those conversations too. But, you know, that is always the sort of thing that people look at you in that sort of quite sad way. Oh, so you've got six dogs. Yes, no children. Do you have children? No. Well, I've got six dogs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, God. But as how did how did well, did you make a conscious decision to get a dog in order to make your life full? Um, the actual, the real. I mean, I think you know the big picture is that there was a, a gap in my life. There was a hole in my life, and it turned out it was a dog-shaped hole. But. I think, you know, I would have probably got a dog m much earlier, but I lived um, in a flat. I lived in a one-bedroom flat on the third floor until I moved in with my boyfriend. And I just thought I couldn't have had a dog up there. But now I've got a dog, I know I could have easily had a dog up there because yeah. I'm a pretty good dog owner. I get up in the morning, I take him out, I, get a, I walk him, I walk him twice a day, I take him out before bedtime. He would never pee in the garden anyway because he's so ridiculously clean. I have to take him out. Even if we had a garden, I couldn't, you know, I'd have to take him out. So I could have had a dog all that time, but I never thought it was possible. So I started yearning for a dog probably, probably when I was about 30, 32, 33. So it took me 12 years to get one. That's a long time. But that was because I just didn't think you could have, have one in London unless you were incredibly rich and had housekeepers and blah, 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 blah. And were you, working, were you looking for... But then once you've got a dog, you go out and you see, you see the best dog owners, actually, yeah. are quite often people who live in tiny flats. Yeah. And the worst dog owners are the ones that live in enormous houses who farm their dogs out to <laughs> Filipino housekeepers who couldn't give a toss about the dog. I know. So I hear you. I, I had all the wrong ideas about it. But then when we got a flat and I just... I, I thought, oh, you know, I just, I, I just, my internal everything in me was screaming, get a dog, get a dog, get a dog. And I never really felt broody growing up. I mean, I knew I wanted kids, but I never got that insane broody feeling. I remember once being at a wedding when I was about 30, in my early 30s, and someone handed a newborn baby to me and I broke out in hives. I think that was probably a hormonal response. I, I probably did want to have kids. But I wasn't like some of my friends, you know, they did IVF for years. They went, or, you know, I've got two gay friends who are married, two guys, you know, they adopted two kids. I didn't try that hard. Yeah. So, I, but, but when I wanted a dog, it was like my whole body was screaming, get a dog! So, did you, yeah, did I was you driven want, to him. Did you want, was, was there a reason why, can I ask, you didn't have children? Um... Was it not just not didn't have a, didn't have sex enough or not the right man didn't didn't have sex enough with the right man or who knows I didn't I didn't do any investigating into it no. I'm just not I'm not really that I can't really concentrate on these things yeah. I thought I just all I ever wanted was just get pregnant I didn't want to, have to think about it I didn't want it to be like another project with a deadline yeah. when in fact it turns out it is a bloody project with a deadline and yeah. I just felt like I had enough really. of those firm deadline yeah but there was a definite hole in my life and. My boyfriend and I were slightly driving each other mad as well. And we, we started, we made this decision to get the dog. And for the, for the sake of the simplicity of the story, 
I decide to get a dog and two months later I get a dog but actually him and I have been talking about it for ages and we were going to get a Whippet puppy from my cousin and then my cousin's Whippet never had any puppies and actually that Whippet is Wolfie's least favourite dog in his whole world. They hate each other so much. He goes into my aunt and uncle's house and he just sits by the door cowering. He hates Tara. So I'm, it's quite weird that I didn't get one of Tara's puppies, but I did get Wolfie. But um, Where is Wolfie from? So uh, I, as the year went on and these puppies didn't appear, I was like, we shouldn't really be buying a puppy. We should be adopting. And then we started looking, then we just got immersed in the whole adoption process. And it took a while to get Wolfie because the kind of guardians to the gatekeeper of Lurcher felt we weren't worthy. So we had to jump through several hoops of fire, which I describe in the book. And eventually, this lady in Essex, in a very small um, rescue place that's not a charity. That panting, by the way, is Wolfie, it's not Nikki. Um, and not yet anyway yeah <laughs> i will be panting shortly <laughs> and then um when you do your um when you do your pregnancy podcast yeah. after this yeah. um <laughs> my birthing podcast yeah <laughs> rebirthing podcast yeah um yeah so he arrived a good a good year after we really seriously decided to get a dog and it was a sort of slow process and fate took me to him and wow he's such a great dog I'm very lucky was it love at first sight well I again I say this in the book there is this moment as he walks across this horrible service station car park towards me I look at him and I'm like oh yikes I don't know if I love that and then oh just that drive back in the car he was just so funny he was just so funny he just looked so funny and he was so curious and so much a third entity in our lives. He arrived and he's just, yeah, there was, there was a micro moment when I thought, oh my God, I don't know if I can love him, but yeah, it was love at first sight. It was love at first But like sight. the best love, it just goes deeper every day. There is no love quite like it, is there? There isn't. I mean, it's astonishing. And I, and I was so freaked out by how amazing that love is. I would stop people on the street and stop people in parks and say, do you love, I'd stop like people as different as possible from me. Um, so there's one time I stopped this um, black guy walking down Elgin Crescent and he, I'd walked behind him a few times and he is, I mean, massive, really muscly, really strong, the sort of guy that would really guard a nightclub door and no one would pass it. He was like very scary looking guy. And he had this little staffy bitch and I'd walk along behind him and I'd be like, I wonder if he loves his dog. <laughs> and eventually I plucked up the courage and I was like, excuse me. And he was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, oh no, he won't love his dog like I love my dog. No. I said, do you love your dog? I know, I said, no, I think I actually said, is your dog the love of your life? And I remember when I said it thinking, oh God, why do you say that? What a stupid thing to say to a big tough guy like that. And, um, and he went, it's not just the love of my life, it's the only one. Oh, and I was so releasing when How he said amazing. that. And there was only one other... <laughs> only love of my life. He said, it's not, it's not, he goes, it's not the only love, it, he said, it's not the love of my life, it's the only one. Um, but then, then there was only one other person I felt I needed to ask. So I asked like the hardest guy on the planet. And then um, I, and then I asked a woman with two, two kids. 
he's got a lurch called Cecil, Sasha, who you might know. And Sasha. Um, Sasha um, Mav, yeah. yeah. And um, that she matters. turned around. She turned around. It's the West London dog walking community, basically. Sarah it? Hiscox has lurches, doesn't she? That's yeah, yeah, I Sasha, don't, she's I in the book. Yeah. She's in the book, yeah. yeah. So, um, Sasha, I, I say to this guy, I didn't know what her name is at the time. We only became friends after I'd asked her this question. I just randomly went up to her in Hyde Park. And I said, excuse me, if you got, because I'd seen her walking with kids. I said, have you got kids? And she said, yeah, I've got kids. And I said, do, do you, I, I said, I love my dog so much. And I wondered if it perhaps is because I don't have children. And she was like, oh, no, 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 it's nothing to do with that. No, I love the dog far more than my children. <laughs> and she's a really good mom, you know. Yeah. She's not like, some kind of neglectful mother and but it was brilliant so I wrote this story I'm giving away the whole book but obviously it's much better written than I could say it um I and, and um it is beautifully written and everyone does need to read this book but the um, life affirming it's been described as but her kids uh her kids got their hands on the book which I, it's not really a kid's book worryingly but yeah they got their hands on the book and um and they read the bit where she said she loves the dog more than her kids. And now, whenever they meet new people, they just go, my mummy loves the dog more than us, like that. Yeah. And, and non-dog you've got owners a problem like, with that. that's awful. You must call social services. Yeah. But no, I, the th that was a, a very long-winded way of saying it is an astounding relationship you have with a dog. All yes. the hormones are released. All the good hormones are released. It's it's a it's like a drug. It's it's fantastic, and it's a drug that's on tap all the time, and can't really hurt you either. So yeah, brilliant. But Wolfie did hurt you because Wolfie disappeared. Yeah, yeah. I think. And that was the bit. I mean, I cannot imagine the pain that you suffered going well, through his lost moment. Yeah, I mean, there's a, p a work by Damien Hurst called The Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living, and I think it's impossible to imagine how painful it is when you lose a dog. And weirdly, once the dog comes back, it's impossible to imagine how painful it is to lose a dog. And so I think it's a bit like childbirth, because you forget. And I look at these dog-lost posters on trees and things, and I'm like, poor bastards but I cannot go back to the actual feeling which was very 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 painful um, but I think something like I mean tens of thousands of dogs go missing every year and more come back than don't yeah um, so some will die some will be you know stolen and whatever but the you know statistically you probably will get your dog back if it goes missing. I mean, I, I hope that's somewhat reassuring. Um, but I, I couldn't think like that. I, I went into this utterly bizarre, another, another kind of realm of existence, if I'm honest. I kind of was uh, so pumped full of whatever hormone it was, whether it was adrenaline or whatever. I he was gone for he was 10 gone days? He was gone for nine days, nine days. But it was a very Wait. surreal experience because you start to, hi Wally. You start to commune with the dog on a kind of weird, probably imagined spiritual plane. And the more he was missing, the more I thought he was alive. And there were lots of different reasons for that, but some of them were entirely just instinctual. Yeah. 
And so actually the longer he was missing, in some ways it got a bit easier because I was so sure he was alive. Other people were sure he, the longer he was away, the more, the more likely he was dead. But I was just exist. I existed in another paradigm, a totally another realm of existence, and I'm sure other people can relate to it. But for me, it was a totally isolating bubble, and people go through way, way, way worse things than losing a dog, like way worse things. So I think one thing you do feel when you lose a dog is a slight sense of shame because it's so, it's just a dog. Well, of course, it's never just, never a, dog. just a dog. And also, he's only gone you for nine days. Off. But you... Do I, yeah, I, I blame myself. Of course, any owner who loses a dog should probably blame themselves because you are responsible for them. Yeah. I don't blame the person who lost him. Um, but so yeah. someone was walking him and that's when no. he disappeared. He... You've read the book, Nikki. I know. Should, no. I know. Um, just asking. Too, your <laughs> mind's too much on dogs and flowers. Um, he was staying with my brother yep. and my brother has three kids and Wolfie's friend Castor was staying as well but they, just for the day because we'd gone to a wedding we didn't even want to go to and Wolfie was pining and stressed and lying by the door and my brother said whatever you do do not open the door uh, and then it was Halloween and the door went and my niece, who was only about four or five at the time, thought it was a trick-or-treater and excitedly ran and opened the door and Wolfie just shot out. But the kids had spent quite a lot of time with Wolfie and the kids managed to run out into... Oh, it doesn't bear thinking about how awful this could have been. The kids managed to run out into a very, very busy road and they caught... Because Castor ran out too. And Sam and Bay caught both dogs and was standing in the middle of the road. The traffic was stopped. Artie was there as well. He was probably only about three at the time. And he, and they, they, saw, they, they dealt with it. The kids and the dogs had sorted it out. Wolfie had been freaked out, but the kids had got him. And then an adult male comes into the equation. My brother comes running downstairs, bellows at the kids to get inside, bellows at the dogs to come back. Kids come inside, let go of the dogs. Castor comes inside, Wolfie shoots down the street. Then, like that guy on Instagram trying to stop his Labrador chasing the deer, Will... Is it Fenton or something, isn't it? Yeah, Will, Will, Wolfie, come here! Which, of course, is the worst thing you can do if a dog is in flight mode. Yeah. And Wolfie, Wolfie ramps up the speed from zero miles an hour to 10 miles an hour to 20 until he was breaking the speed limit going down Toffnell Park Road and then you know my brother was wearing tracksuit bottoms and no top and no shoes and he ran down Toffnell Park Road after him um, but yeah I mean he he was gone and he was in an area he just did not know he'd never peed on any corners around there he got went too fast when he was running away to to mark or sent his way well, to smell his way back, so and he do we was know gone. what happened to him over that time? Well, you pieced uh, it together. Yeah, I, I pieced together a m tiny number of things because it went so viral when Wolfie got lost that there were sightings of him. Some of them were unverifiable, some of them were clearly bullshit, but some of them were really, really, really believable. 
So I kind of could see that he was moving in a kind of, he was moving in a kind of ovoid shape around where my brother lived, around North London. And they do say that when dogs get lost they, and they don't know where they are, they will kind of move in a specific way around the area until they manage to come back. So I worked that out. I managed to work. I heard someone told me about that and I read about it and I, and I, and I, and it, oh, I'm giving away the whole book basically. I'm going to stop talking about it because then nobody will read it. But we do know it. he comes back and we do well, know Well, we don't know because ending. you know what? The truth is he could have been cloned. In South Korea, let's hope not, because that's no, where they're cloning dogs. In a laboratory in, in, uh, in Bristol, Uni Bristol University. No, they don't do that at Bristol University yet. But for $76,000, you can have your dog cloned I mean, that is the South worst, Korea. disgusting vanity ever. Why would you do that? Why not just get a dog? Why would you do that? It's like cloning your, your husband or your, your mother. And why would you do that? And they don't come back the same anyway. Of course not. Because but you're a deluded people are idiot. Doing it. People, people are, are so doing it. disconnected from the cycle of life. I mean, that is one thing that dogs do do, is they bring you in to the real here and now that life ends. Because yeah. their life starts and ends, hopefully, uh, in a shorter period of time than our own. And you are confronted with the reality that something you love so much is going to be gone. And uh, that's not a bad reality to grow. That's probably one of the greatest gifts they give us is the gift of yeah. absolute clarity about what's gonna happen to us all. We're all gonna die. But I think people yeah. who wanna clone their dogs are in denial about their own, their own mortality and, their, and the cycle of nature and life. And actually dogs are great for bringing you back to the reality of nature and to greenery and stuff. Cloning dogs is absolutely ridiculous especially when there are 600 million stray dogs on this planet exactly. that do not have a amazing home yeah and that number is growing daily and none of those 600 million dogs are dealt with in any humane way so to actually think that there are people out there because mm. I think you have to take tissue sample of your dog while your dog is alive yeah and then you send it to a laboratory out to this this oh. guy who there was an article about him in newspaper recently, and yeah, for seventy two thousand dollars you can have your dog back. And it's can so you imagine the life? Sorry, the, imagine the life of the, the the female dog. They call them hosts. Oh God! So the were female they dog that is used to just have these dogs that look oh. and are ex identical, and of course but that's that's when you turn a dog. I mean, in the eyes, this is another thing you learn when you lose a dog. Is it in the eyes of the law, a, um, a dog is just a possession, like some car garden. If it's taken from your garden, it's like someone nicking the garden furniture. If it's taken from your home, then it's considered burglary, like someone breaking into your house and stealing a necklace. Is That's it. it. That's it. So they it are not considered different. Right. It's just, it's, they're just a possession. So those people that clone their dogs treat a, it as a consumer choice. Mm. But do you not think that's a little bit like... You know, people who just decide they want a dog that is no bigger than 10 pounds, doesn't shed, has pale brown apricot fur. It's a bit like ordering a car. You decide what you want. When you buy a pedigree dog and you go to a breeder or you yeah. read about all these dogs that you think might suit your family or your kids or you hear that they're good with kids or they don't need much exercise, 
and they're fine to be left on their own for six hours a day, whatever it is. I mean, it is just like ordering, I mean, ordering a car. You say, I, I agree with you and I want to be morally absolutely by your side on this one. But I, but. I think certain types of dogs suit different types of people. And I don't like the way that breeding has created these horrible mutants that are nowhere near the wolves that they once were. Yeah. And I look at, bull, I mean, I, a lot of my friends have bulldogs and French bulldogs and pugs. And I really feel bad saying this, but they are, they are horribly, you know, they're mutilated in the, in the, in the breeding process. And they are not very healthy. No, they're not. And that, that is bad, that whole kind yeah. of pet. But, e but equally, I wanted a dog. I wanted a lurcher. I did want a lurcher. But there is an element about... And I think that, so that, that is an element of, you know, I mean, I know you've got a right old rabble. I have a right old rabble of rescue dogs. Yeah. But I mean, I... I mean, so maybe every, I'm halfway to being the kind of designer every, handbag dog person. Well, you're not, clearly, because that's not how you describe this beautiful soul here. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think people's intentions... Oh, my word, look at Wally. ...to be... Wally. I know, he's Can you stop being here. so unbelievably sweet? People need to have the right intentions for having a dog, and I don't think They're it's not goods like, and chattels, they're family exactly. members. It's, it's not something that is made to order. And, and I think that's the issue I have with a lot of these designer dogs, the, you know, cockapoo and multipoo, all of these types of dogs, which are amazing dogs for family and so on, so I believe. But, I mean, you know, they are so badly bred mm. and bred in puppy mills because we can't keep up the demand and that's not a great place to be brought up as a dog nobody should buy a dog from somewhere like that and and you if should you know are, where you get your exactly, dog from exactly you yeah. should meet the dog's mother um and well, i, I can't meet wolfie's mother because i'm his third owner who had wolfie before you was there life before you he had three i'm his third owner his first owner well, who, whatever his story was, and we love trying to imagine it. His first owner, did, he had no collar, no chip, and he was just found wandering the streets of Manchester. So we know nothing about that first owner. The second owner adopted he's, he's him. The sec I know he talks like that. Um, well, how would he talk? How would we, Wolfie talk? Well, we're in a disagreement, my, um, my boyfriend and I. My boyfriend thinks he talks like Ray Winston. Right. And I think he talks a little bit like Jeremy Irons. Really? Can we have, a, do, bit of, yeah. can we have a bit of Wolfie? Well, um, <laughs> there's something Martin likes to say. That's my boyfriend. He's like, oh, what are you doing here? I want her. She's a better one. <laughs> uh, I don't, is that how you talk? I don't know if that's no. how he talks, but it makes me laugh. Whereas I think, I just don't think of him as talking because he's a dog. I just, I just don't not. hear a voice, to be honest. But I was thinking about it last night and he, um, yeah, I think maybe he talks like Jeremy Irons or slightly fey. He's very skinny. But you know what I was thinking today? Do you remember that TV show, Pipkins? I think no. he looks like Hartley Hare. But he also looks like Alf the Alien. And yeah, he looks like and a lot of different things. And he's very handsome. 
So yeah. we'll Where see. are all your dogs, by the way? They're, they are all, because we're going on holiday on Wednesday, so they're in the country with um, my lovely Elsina, who looks after them. Oh. I'm actually having a best time, because they'd much rather be there than here. Yeah. Um, but yes. No, so he's after, a real, um, he's, he's a real just... He quite likes going to my boyfriend's mum's because she just is an animal person. And, oof, you're so hot. Come here, why don't you go outside? So who was his second owner? Um, he, Wolfie, come here. Come here. You're so hot. Just panting away. The whole podcast will be ruined water. by the sun. Why don't you go well, outside? At least it's realistic. <laughs> oh, now he's getting tangled up in all the electric stuff. <laughs> at least it is a realistic podcast. Guys, you do know that we do have... <laughs> Either Kate yeah, and I are not, doing a lot of heavy breathing. It's not a Frank Oz <laughs> creation. We, do have we haven't got two. a porn film on in the <laughs> yeah. background. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Later. <laughs> so who was his second owner? Oh, that, it was someone who adopted him uh, and he, as a second dog and their resident dog bullied him and they gave him up. And having seen what he's like with Tara, this my cousin's Whippet, She's a bitch, and she's a bitch as well. <laughs> and he's absolutely terrified of her. And I never really understood how anyone could have a dog that was, you know, that, that would give up a dog just because their other dog didn't like it. But actually, I realise now it would be torture. I mean, when he's in the same house as Tara, he's absolutely terrified. Really? Absolutely terrified. Bullied by the resident bitch, it said on his... Um, on his website, on his dog's um, blog entry. That's the other thing I find very hard is people who do give up on their dogs because I don't think it's anything I could actually... Oh, now we're going to hear slurping sounds. Really do. There's These dogs are so spoiled. I, I take him water and I just hold it for him. Do you bring him breakfast in bed? No. No, I don't like <laughs> Does dogs. Does he sleep with you? Of course he does, but I don't like dogs eating in bed. They're not very tidy eaters. Slobber everywhere. You are very cute. So, Kate, my darling, lovely Kate, if you had to think of some advice, because for me, losing one of my dogs would be quite possibly one of the worst things that could happen to me. Yeah. Apart from losing them when they're really properly gone, which is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. What advice would you give because as you say it happens a lot and you know I, I was I actually the other day was walking down Westbourne Grove and outside Sainsbury's was a dog tied up yeah so I went to the security guys at Sainsbury's and I was like do you know who this dog belongs to and they're like no I don't know so I literally walked around Sainsbury's until I found that dog's owner mm. and I was like you got a, anyone got a dog outside and he's like yeah he's mine I said don't leave your dog outside a supermarket. When are you crazy? Did you do that? Did I you? did because wow. they get stolen. Yeah. And you know, dogs get stolen for all sorts of horrible reasons. And I just cannot, whenever I see a dog outside a shop, a supermarket or a shop, I literally want to go and kill the person that's left the dog outside. Do you know what? I but do let Wolfie sit outside shops, but only if it's a situation where the sh the, wind, the door to the shop is straight into the shop. It's a small yeah, shop. You can so, see him all the time. You know, um, if I went into Nikki Tibble's place on um, on Westbourne Grove, you know, so was it. I mean, okay, it's not a great example because it's a tiny shop, but I would go in and he would just sit outside and I'd go in and quickly do it. 
What I don't do is leave him tied up by a lead. I leave yeah. him so that he can move, he can get away from things and... But I do leave him sometimes. I mean, I, not for five minutes. Yeah. Like but you can a see minute. him all the time. Yeah, I can see him or... Because, you know, I, I, the only way I was going to be able to have a dog was if I was able to take him a lot of places with me. I don't have a garden. I'm quite busy. So we just do things together. And I even when I've got quite important meetings, I'm like, can I bring the dog? Because then taking him there is part of his stimulation, part of his walk. Um, if I had to get up, walk the dog, come home, put the dog back in, go and do work things, blah, 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 come back, get the dog, take it for a walk, come back, it would be untenable. Mm. I would spend hours a day on the dog. But So yeah. the dog just comes with me everywhere. And you take him to restaurants, lunch. We've had, I've had the pleasure of lunch with yeah, Wolfie. Yeah, Cruise. Yes, that was amazing. And he's, he comes with you everywhere. I mean, he doesn't come everywhere Come on, Baba. because there's we'll some places up. he doesn't like up. and there's some places that don't like him but yeah he comes he comes to a lot of places for me and there's a lot of places in London that don't really like dogs but they do let Wolfie come so you're honoured you're an honoured guest wherever you go and that changes I think when you've got two dogs that changes a little bit because you're saying I should get a second dog but if I, I get a second up. dog <laughs> They become a lot less portable as two as a two. I'm, I am almost stalking you on Instagram with the second dog moment because I'm looking after Wally. Yeah, Wally Do you is get a so dog? awesome. We've so fallen in love. So with just him. going back to that piece of advice for he people who dog, might have lost their dog, what what what? That's the sound is, of me patting Wolfie. Yeah. I'm not paying some small <laughs> tom toms. Not me. Um, is that nice? What, what piece of advice would you give someone who well, has lost their dog? It's an interesting one, that, because you could just leave it to fate. And my cousin, who is very, very, very connected to animals, she's a brilliant horsewoman. She lives on a ranch with 20 dogs and 100 horses. When she loses her dogs, she doesn't do anything. She leaves, um, she leaves where they lost them. She'll leave um, an item of clothing and she'll go back there every now and again. But she doesn't, and she always finds her dogs. She's um, never lost a dog. Where does she live? She lives on a ranch, like a million acre ranch in California. Okay. She runs a horse sanctuary. Wow. Um, oh my God. So she, I do, but then that's, you know, there's no roads, there's no cars, there's no, the, the only yeah. thing that could affect the dog would be maybe... Wild animals. The cold or wild animals, yeah. Um, but there is some logic to that. It's a bit different in cities, I think. It's a bit more complicated in cities. But I think, I've got a few things to say about this. I think posters are powerful if you know where roughly where the dog is but you know they can move quite long distances yeah. the dog wardens will tell you that they can move 10 20 30 miles in a day yeah if they want to but i think posters are powerful they certainly the posters gave me amazing feedback because you did a lot of work didn't well you? i was you lucky because my original lost, my original lost dog tweet was retweeted eleven thousand times so people people got into it and people and it became a bit of a sort of cause celeb and all sorts of amusing people retweeted us. Um, 
And reposted on Instagram. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there was a lot. But I think... I reposted you, Wolfie. I think if I really, really wanted to give some advice, I think it would be stay calm, get smelly things. I mean, dogs, just that everything about dogs is about their sense of smell. Um, you know, if it's near home, just get lots of smelly things out. Um, and I think be prepared to wait because I could have done nothing. I could have done nothing and he still would have come back because he wasn't found by any of the means that, or any of the lengths that we went to to find right. him. But then I think that the kind of psychic energy you push out into the universe without wanting to sound like a complete hippie is the effort and energy I pushed out into the North London air somehow made him know that we were around and sense that we were looking for him and but then I don't know I don't know I don't want to give I've given away a lot of the book but there's a lot of interesting bit. twists and turns with psychics and the spirit world and all sorts of things but in the end he came back he just went up to someone. I, I, I'm telling you the whole book. Oh, but I have, I have this psychic moment with him. And I'm like, please, please, Wolfie, make yourself known to someone you trust. Please, please, please. And, um, and eventually that's what he did. And everybody had tried to catch him and he ran away and ran away. And eventually when he really needed it, he found a really, really, really good person that you knew? No, no, no. And they didn't know anything about the campaign or anything at all. But I just want to say, I basically told you the whole story <laughs> in it's half still, an hour. It's still worth reading. You've but got to read but this The book. book is about so much more than just the story of losing the dog. It's just about me communicating with London. And, and you know, when I look for the dog, I have to force myself out of our cosy dog walking circles. Because the minute you see people with a dog, you're like, oh, well, it's one of us. But actually, you need to ask the people who don't have dogs. You need to ask the homeless people. You need to ask. You need to ask the people who aren't in your own image. Yeah. So the journey of looking for the dog was about so much more than what we've talked about today. It was profound, and getting the dog was profound as well. So. So it's I hope I haven't just given the whole plot away. Well, <laughs> for those of you who haven't read this amazing book, I. <laughs> firmly suggest you read it but when Kate arrived this evening she has had some incredible news today <laughs> which needs a huge amount of congratulations and I am so absolutely thrilled but Lost Dog will be turned into a film. Well maybe. And I cannot think of a better book that could be turned into a film and <laughs> we can only imagine who is going to play Wolfie. Well I think Wolfie should be a Muppet, because I do, do say think? in the beginning of the book that he looks like an anorexic Muppet, <laughs> but apparently they use that things... That is so not true, Wolfie, don't listen use, to her. They use things like, called dog wranglers, and um, they find a dog that looks for the part, and then they have these really adept dog trainers who can make them do what they've got to do. It's quite common for books to be optioned for films and TV and stuff. It's less common than it actually makes it to screen, so let's see what happens, but... Yeah, maybe. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? I think it would be amazing. I literally can't. Yeah, it'd think be like flea bag. Flea bag meets Marley and me meets um, American Psycho or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and who's going to play you? Meets yeah, no, Fleabag meets Marley and Me, meets performance, because it's in Notting Hill and there's some bad behaviour in it, meets uh, the Magic Roundabout. Okay. Who's going to play me? Um, um, I think probably, I'd like to think Chloe Savini, but I think probably like Olivia Coleman or someone silly like that. Darling Kate, if... You know, there is one one thing that you could say about Wolfie. What sums up your relationship with Wolfie? It's, it just completes you a dog, doesn't it? Because it, it takes you back to a very primal self that doesn't talk, doesn't really think, but exists in an animal-like state. And dogs bring you back to that original mammalian self before we were like just conscious and pretentious and got into star signs and you know talking and all that advanced sign? newfangled stuff um and his chart have you done his chart no i i i haven't done my dog's chart nikki no <laughs> have you no you're in a different realm of dog dog <laughs> nuttiness maybe I, maybe I should i did have <laughs> um lenny and smith's dna tested I can't do his star sign. Get his chart read. I know, but I don't know when he was born. I'm his third owner. Kate Spicer, I Aww. absolutely love you. And thank you for coming and talking to me this evening with Wolfie and Wally. I hope the panting doesn't destroy this podcast. Thank you. <laughs>So that's our show for today. If you want to share your dog stories, please email info at podpeopleproductions.co.uk or send pictures to at podpeopleuk on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We'd really love to hear from you. If you like today's show, please subscribe and rate us on wherever you get your podcasts. It does help other dog lovers to find us. Dog bless you was produced by Mike Hansen for Pod People Productions and presented by me, Nikki Tipples. Theme music by Mike Hansen. And if you want to join or contribute to the Wild at Heart Foundation, please go to wilderheartfoundation.org. Thank you so much and see you soon. Pod People.